Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host, Julie Jancis. Today, we have on the show guest Carly Johnson. Carly is really known for her TEDx talk, where she uses humor talking about pooping her pants, the time that she pooped her pants, didn't want to, but it happened. She uses this humor to help with healing. Carly is a sexual assault survivor, and I just wanted to mention that at the beginning so that if anybody feels that this would be too triggering for them, that they know and that they can just skip this episode, move to a different one. I am talking to Carly today also about us both being members of the LGBTQ community and what it's like to come out as bi when you are married to a man and have a family because she has done the same recently herself. So we are jumping into these topics today. Friends, as always, if you get value out of this podcast, please rate us five stars, write a positive review. We so appreciate your support there and share it on social media with your friends. You can tag us at Angel Podcast. If you'd like to work with me, you can book a session or take one of my courses if you head on over to theangelmedium.com. All that information is in the show notes. Now, let's hop into the interview. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome to the Angels and Awakening podcast. This is Julie Jancis, and I am here today with Carly Johnson. Carly is a well-known speaker within the TED Talk arena, and you also are an inspirational speaker. You go around giving inspirational talks. Carly, tell us more about yourself. So I grew up in a small, small town called Sherrard outside the Quad Cities, if anyone is familiar with that. So I grew up, you know, working on an asparagus farm in a town of 600 people. We had bring your tractor to school day. We got up to school for a rodeo. I have two younger brothers and I grew up kind of like a tomboy running through the fields in the cornfields of (laughs) Illinois and then went off to school. And it was so funny because I went to NIU in DeKalb. Go Huskies, any fellow Huskies out there. But the funny thing is everyone who is coming from Chicago or the suburbs or other places around the country, they were like, ew, DeKalb, right? Like corn. And I'm like, y'all have a Target. Like, this is amazing. Like, I had never had Chipotle. I'd only had Starbucks once before in my life on vacation. So I was living the dream in little DeKalb, Illinois. But the funny thing is I changed my major a lot. I went through a ton of different traumas. There was a lot of things that college was just so hard for me. And coming from this small little farm town where, you know, nothing bad happens, it was just one thing after another. So I was there during the 2008 shooting in which one of my friends was killed. I realized I was in an abusive relationship. I was sexually assaulted by one of my best friends and then left that, that living situation to feel safe, but then went to be an RA where I was sexually harassed by my boss. So it was just one thing after another. And finally, when I graduated and I moved kind of up into the suburbs of Chicago, my first big girl job, I was doing a pantyhose line for Walgreens because you get your pantyhose at Walgreens, right? (laughs) Uh So anyways, but it was just more sexist, awful behavior. And here I was president of the Women's Rights Alliance, you know, doing these marches and speaking out and 
and I just knew I needed a change. So I worked for the Ray Prices Center in Chicago for about three years. And every time I went into a school and I was educating on um, sexual assault and domestic violence prevention, I found that every time I went into a classroom, these students wanted to hear from survivors, right? They didn't want to hear statistics. They didn't want to do activities. They were asking questions like, can you find love after abuse? And, you know, was it my fault? And things like that. And so finally, I decided after a pretty traumatic hospital call with one of, um, one of our clients, a survivor, I decided to kind of start sharing my own story as a survivor. And so I quit my job there. I started my business. And the difference about me and a lot of other educators or speakers in this field is that I use humor. So even though I'm talking about these awful, terrible subjects, we can still have fun. Like, do you remember doing like stop, drop, and roll in grade school? Yes. Right? Yes. And how fun it was. Yeah. I mean, we get to roll around on the floor at school. It was a blast. But think about being on fire. Like, that's pretty terrifying, right? <laughs> yes. So I go into schools and I'm talking about things which my TED Talk is, or my TEDx Talk is based off, but I am famous around the country for pooping my pants. But I compare that to being a victim of violence in the sense of it wasn't my fault, right? Like I didn't want to poop my pants. I did everything in my power to not for it to happen. But the other part of it is that, do you think I told anyone? No. no. Like I was a senior in high school and I was, get this, I won prom queen the week after. So <laughs> yeah, no one knew. <laughs> <laughs> but now I, my inbox is just flooded with people who have either one pooped their pants and so we can laugh about it or yeah. two, they're also victims or survivors of this violence. And so the idea behind it is we can connect, have some fun. And then how, what do we do to prevent this? So that is what my entire goal is. My goal is to empower the good and prevent the bad. So yeah, that's me. I love that. I love that. Empower the good, prevent the bad. So you and I connected through my cousins and yay, yes, Brad and Alan, I had kind of, I, I want to dive into, you know, what you're talking about, but I also want to go into, you recently came out as a bi woman. Um, you're in a marriage, you have a child, and this is something that I, you know, mentioned on the podcast, but I didn't go in deeper to it because there's so much that's uncomfortable, right? About like coming out as bi. I really feel called to come out now as bi because I want to support the LGBT community and I want everybody to know that it's okay. I think where my reservations were about coming out is being in a marriage with a man and having this podcast and just not wanting to open up him or me or our family to the judgments of other people who might think to themselves like, well, is there something weird going on, you know, or do they have an open marriage or, you know, like, is she really a lesbian and she's just not saying it because she's married and she doesn't want to drop that bomb on her family? None of that is true, right? I'm actually a very like vanilla person. What you see is like really what you get. And and I love my husband. He is such an amazing person. And I think anybody who is married knows how hard it is, 
how much harder it can be to be in a marriage than not. And we have done our work to get to a really good space. And I just love, you know, the relationship that we have and the life that we've built. I also don't want to open myself up to judgments too. This is kind of tricky. And I want to hear your opinion on this because I think that there are some people who, when you say that you are bi, will assume, like, I didn't want any of my clients to feel uncomfortable, like, around me. It's not as if, like, I am seeing every woman that's out there and being like, ooh, you are just delicious, you know? It's more like I have had chemistry with, you know, you have chemistry with people. Like I have had chemistry with men. I have had chemistry with women. And I've known that since I was in seventh grade. So talk to us about this. Let's dive in. Tell us your story about like how you knew and let's start there. Perfect. So I actually knew back in fourth grade and I knew this because I, my mom took me to see Titanic. You know, everyone remember, you remember Titanic? Oh, it was huge. It was huge. And I was of course obsessed with Leo. Like he was my sexual awakening, but also Kate Winslet. Like that scene where he draws her naked. I was like, wow. Because in my head, I was like, I can't wait to look like that. And like, I wanted to, I wanted to like date her. Like Fourth grade was when, and, and some parents or people might there be thinking fourth grade, like that's really young, but we had fake weddings at recess. We had boyfriends, girlfriends, right? Like we, yeah. unfortunately, we sexualize kids a lot and joke with like, oh, their boyfriend, girlfriend and things like that. But around fourth grade, fourth and fifth grade for me and my friends anyways, was when you start trying to be cool, you know, you're, you're really into that pop, like. Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, NSYNC, like all of that was super big and in. And I remember being attracted to women, Britney Spears, Christina, like genie in a bottle. I was like, dang girl, like, (laughs) (laughs) and so I just remember being super confused. But at the same time, I remember understanding what it was to be gay and it was a, a bad thing. And my parents are very open and we grew up uh, Catholic and it wasn't like hardcore gay people are bad and stay away from them. But I just, you know, from, from the media, from society. And I remember when Matthew Shepard was killed and that was huge and being young and processing that. And I had a, a friend who was really my bully too. And I'm sure a lot of us, and this is another thing I speak on is bullying and harassment, but we were in the bathroom fourth grade at Sherrard grade school. And I'll never forget this because I was wearing overalls. So silly. Like, and this is so a really good example of the mind of kids too. And of something so small and little that could stay with someone for so long. But I was wearing my red Mickey Mouse hoodie sweatshirt over my overalls. And my friend said to me, you know, only lesbians do that. Like only lesbians. And she was so mean. And she was like, are you a lesbian? Like, that's really gross. Like, don't wear that. And I was like, oh my God, she knows. Like, she knows I like girls. And I just like pushed it down and I kept pushing it down. And because I was attracted to men, because I was obsessed with Leo, I just pushed down all of those thoughts and that attraction towards women. But then once I got older and in grade, or not grade school, sorry, but like junior high and high school, I would fantasize about women. I would. I started to lucid dream. I was really obsessed with like dreaming and understanding dreams. And I kept a dream journal. And when I would lucid dream in high school, 
I would always make out with a woman like that. <laughs> so like I knew, I knew, but at the same time, my grandma was super hardcore Catholic. We even, I even have a gay cousin, but I saw the way family and friends treated him too. And same with what you said. I was also just kind of, I was the weird outgoing girl in high school too. And so I didn't want to draw more attention to myself, especially from the small farm town that I grew up in. And so I just repressed it, repressed it, repressed it. And then I got really involved with LGBTQ activism. I can't talk. I'm trying to combine advocacy and activism, (laughs) one word. (laughs) But I got really involved and I started speaking up and took a bunch of ally trainings. And I got really involved with a group um, in the Chicagoland area called Youth Outlook. And it's about empowering and bringing together LGBTQ plus youth and families too, who might not know a lot about this. So anyways, I just, I just sat through meetings and these trainings and I kept thinking like I'm hiding, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm hiding myself. I'm not living my true life. And the reason I'm not telling people is because I'm scared what they're going to think of me. 100%. Right. And I was, and I don't know if you felt this way, but I was like, what a hypocrite I am. Mm-hmm. Where I'm traveling the country and I'm saying, tell your truth and live your stories and talk about your rape and pooping your pants, <laughs> right? But here I am masturbating to women and not, you know, and, and to, you know, our sexual lives, you can keep that as private as you want, right? And if you're not ready to come out, that's completely fine. But for me, as someone who is a public speaker, a public figure that was so involved, I was like, you know what? It's time. It's time for me to live my truth. And like you said, I love my husband. He is hot shit. Like he, (laughs) our marriage isn't perfect, but it has nothing to do with him. It has absolutely nothing to do with him. And so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just about who you're attracted to and, and that's it. So was it really hard then to like, do you think that By the way, I'm a Husky too. I went to NIU from 2004 to to 2000, no, 2000 to 2004. And then I returned a year later to work at the university. So we'll have to talk about the 2008 shooting because that was, that rocked my entire life. Just the loss. It's incredible, but we'll, we'll get there. We've got so much to talk about. We could talk for hours. I know. So what was it like for you to come out to your community then? Did you find that people were warm and receptive and, and yeah. And your family, like coming from a small town, what was that like? A couple of things too. I have to give um, some props and credit to one of my really good, like one of my best friends. She came out years ago and married a woman and she struggled a lot with things with her family too. And her and a lot of my other gay friends, um, and even Brad and Alan, you know, who, yeah. who connected to just being around them and watching them just live, just live so authentically and happy too. Mm-hmm. And it was such inspiration for me. And so it was actually like years of building up of me coming out. And I, as a writer, as somebody who likes speeches and, you know, blogging, things like that, I had written my post, my coming out post for the past like four years and I'd have my husband and, and we had talked about this before um, and he had always been really supportive. And, but at the same time, 
he is not as educated as I am in this field too. And so when I first came out to him, he was a little, you know, at first it started with, oh, that's hot, right? Like, oh, that's, yeah, that's the other problem with it. Everybody thinks that there's going to be like this threesome and you're like, no, that's not who I am. <laughs> like, no, no one else is coming into our marriage, right? Like, yeah. And it's, like if you do open marriage, like no judgment, but just, For I sure. I'm just too jealous of the person. For sure. No, totally, totally. No shame, no judgment on that whatsoever. Just not who I am as an individual. Exactly. So, and, and, and too, like, and I know things change for a lot of people, but for us it was, yeah, that's great. That's great. But then I also didn't want to bring attention to me too, in the sense of I'm very privileged. I'm a white middle-class woman, married, beautiful son. The only times I ever felt those struggles as a queer, bisexual, pan- or gay person was when I was young and I was scared someone was going to find me out. And so I did live with those fears because I wasn't sure what they would do to me or make fun of me or, or as a fourth grader thinking about what they did to Matthew Shepard, like that really terrified me. So, but now it's not something that I am oppressed by. So I was like, well, why am I, why do I need to come out? But then it went back to, no, I need to live my authentic self. And so another friend of mine, I would send them like, will you read this? What do you think about this post? Like, I'm going to do it. It's coming out day or it's pride month. And then something would happen where I'd get chicken shit out, (laughs) excuse me, but like, and then I didn't do it. And honestly, this year, everything going on with COVID, but mainly with everything, just all the social justice, all the racism, all of these things that I was getting in fights with for family members and friends that I was speaking my truth. And I was like, you know what? No, like I am going to live myself and authentically. And back to when I first shared my rape story over 10 years ago, I was terrified. And now I know it has, it has helped other people. So I, I did my coming out post and I got so much just from friends and acquaintances and other people. And I had five different individuals come out to me. Five, right? And them being my closest friends who I had no idea. And now um, she texted me the other day, like happy visibility awareness week. And we are now bonding through that experience that I never would have before. And so it was also really amazing because I'm looking back at all of my friends from high school who are gay, who were gay, who I went to prom and had a crush and wanted to date my gay friend who at the time wasn't out. But now we're all bonding over this experience of growing up in the small town where uh, it was a bad thing, but now we can be open and free. And so because I am connected to a lot of um, students still in my town and rural communities all over... I'm really also doing it for them. I'm doing it for saying that you can be in a marriage or you can like men or date men and still like women and it's okay, right? It's okay. Well, and let's go into this deeper. And I want to read this because after I kind of shared, you know, last week in the podcast, you know, about being bi, I got a lot of emails from different people and a lot of them follow along the same line. So I'm just going to read one, but it just made me like sob when I wrote, read this because just listen, Julie, I wanted to reach out and say how much I enjoyed your podcast about relationships and criticism. 
I really needed to hear the message and it was so helpful. I do have a question and you may not feel comfortable answering it on the podcast right now. And I totally understand that. I am a gay man and grew up in the Deep South Baptist religion. I have been working really hard on releasing my old beliefs. And the hardest part is knowing if being gay is a sin or abomination. I know you spoke to the fact that you were bi on the particular podcast, and so I just wanted to pick your brain on that. Just wondering if you've heard anything about the angels about it. I truly don't feel like I ever choose chose to be gay. Thank you so much for sharing your heart and joy with the world. Oh my God, that just broke me, you know, because there's nothing. And and here's the other reason that I think I didn't say it earlier on the podcast is because when you tap into energy of the other side, well, the essence of us truly is, is our soul. What does that soul energy look like? I mean, it's an orb of energy, kind of like the sun that radiates, and it has consciousness. There is no physical gender to the soul. And when I've gone through, like with people in past life regressions, when I've done past life regressions myself, I have been both male and female in different lives. We all have. If we are timeless beings that live for all eternity and we have had lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, then we don't have gender. And we have had relationships with both men and women in different lifetimes. I struggled with saying that and people being like, well, is that why you're coming out? No, the reason that I'm coming out is because I have, you know, thought about women since I was in seventh grade and just didn't want, like I said before, all of the judgment that goes along with it. You know, and now I it's so important for everybody listening to know that God doesn't see this as a sin. God doesn't see this as bad. We're not good or bad for our sexual orientation or who we are. We have to live our truth. And I fully support any person coming out throughout the LGBTQ. Is there another letter on there now? Well, it's LGBTQ. I say LGBTQ plus. There's okay. A. There's lots of letters, but yeah, yeah, it's not bad. It's not wrong, you know. And that's what the other side says. And it's not just from the angels. That's from the highest source. That is. That's all that is saying that. Yes, I completely agree with that. And somebody too, where I struggled with that. I struggled. I mean, I grew up so Catholic, <laughs> extreme, and it was just such a. A challenge because at the same time, though, one of the great things that you mentioned that I really appreciate is to sex and gender. It's a it's a construct. It's it's something too that that yes, I'm attracted to also the male and the female body, but I like the term uh, pansexual too because that means that you're just attracted to a person regardless of their sex or gender. And so another thing that I really love about people is, like you said, the chemistry. It's not just their physical bodies. It's their goals, their hopes, their, the way they communicate, the, w- the way they move through life, the way they make me laugh, the way, whatever it might be. So, so God isn't looking down on you, judging you and saying, you're going to hell because of this. If, if you're a good person and you, you do God's work, you're set. You're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I wanted to say that too, because I think that there is a lot of that out there. And one of the things that we do when we break down in spirituality, you know, breaking down the egoic mind so that you're not thinking as much from the egoic mind, you're thinking more from the intuition. What you have to do there is recognize, and it's not just within the LGBT community or how you look at at that particular issue. It's everything in life. We have to stop making bad guys and good guys because any time that we say them or they, we are separating ourselves from the collective whole where we truly are on the other side, one with all things. So if we're one with all things, you know, I I tell my podcast listeners, it's like your soul is one droplet in the ocean that is God. And, and yet that metaphor sometimes gives people this idea that their droplet is outside of the ocean, but it can't be that way. The droplet is always part of the ocean. We're always one with all things. So I really find that a lot of people that I work with who know who they are, but don't want to see who they are. Mm. Yeah. That's good. And and that's in a good and a bad way too. So one of the things, and this kind of is taking a little bit of a turn, but still related where I am, I don't want to say proud, but I am a victim. Mm-hmm. You know what people say? I'm, I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor or I'm not a victim. I'm a, I'm strong. I'm this. Well, here's the deal with that term. And this kind of goes back to the people don't want to face who they are or mm-hmm. what happened to them or what's going on in their mind or their soul. And for me, being a victim, it wasn't my fault, right? Like when you are a victim, someone harmed you and it wasn't your fault. Now we do have that victim mentality people talk a lot about where they put themselves as the victim. But when we are talking about true victimhood and someone has harmed you and they have done something bad to you, you're a victim and it's not your fault. So don't ever be ashamed for being a victim. You can be a victim and a survivor. And so same with... I can love and enjoy men and women. I can love and enjoy someone who doesn't, um, who's non-binary and doesn't define themselves as a man. Another thing that I do is I use she and they pronouns too. And I do that because also to just for practice, right? I identify as a woman. I am proud of being a woman, what I have gone through, the oppression I've experienced as a woman. But at the same time, Gender and sex doesn't mean that much to me. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me, oh, well, what are your pronouns? I say she and them and feel free to use them interchangeably or how you were because I want people to practice too that I'm a they in the sense of I, we are all theys. We are all people. And I love that analogy of the droplets in the ocean because we are all one. And I encourage everyone else too to share your pronouns or practice using they because it can be a little uncomfortable, right? Um, because we're so used to she, he, that kind of stuff. So it's same with when talking about sexuality and never assuming that, oh, they're married. She just likes dudes. Oh, they're married. He just like, you know, so yeah. anyways, there's just, there's so much more complicity to us than what so let's go. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's what, you know, is so beautiful about, you know, so much of the unfolding of this year. And I don't want to minimize, I know that people are dying and I feel so terrible and I've worked with a lot of those families. At the same time, there's a huge awakening that is happening this year. 
And one of the biggest, you know, lessons that I have learned this year is where spirituality and religion have been bypassing subjects where action needs to be taken. So when it comes to that word victim, you're right. There are absolutely times where people are victims and we need to address that and we need to go into that and we need to own that because, and let's start here. A lot of people, I mean, I think this is, I know for me, it's a new term, the word harm. But, you know, I'm such a vibrational being where I feel so much energy and I can tap into other people's energy very easily and take on other people's energy very easily. And there is that yummy high vibrational place that we can be in where we're in peace and we're in love and we're in joy. And there's another vibration that can come in, several different ones, stress, anxiety, tension, where there's a jittery emotion that can come in where someone does something to you and it can even be so much of it right now is on social media. Yes. With people calling other people out for wrong, sometimes wrong reasons, sometimes right reasons. But, you know, I had a woman the other day, and I'm just going to share this, who on social media, I have not within my platform within my business come out with who I will be supporting and voting for this November. I haven't done that within the platform because I believe in people's free will. And I think that there are, this is a topic for a different day, but there are much, much larger issues at hand with regards to us having a two-party system. And really it ties in, all of that ties into capitalism in general and how we need to restructure everything. So I don't consider myself Democratic or Republican. I will vote for the person who is causing the least harm and bringing the most unity to humanity. And so I haven't, you know, talked about the person or the individuals that I'm voting for, but I do have it on my personal page because on Facebook, on my personal page, that's my private space. And I had somebody from the podcast community email me and say, and she went off and she said, I can't believe, I cannot believe that you on social media, on your private page would post who you're voting for. That's so wrong. And I thought, it's not within the podcast. It's not within like my business platform. This is my personal private page that you decided to go look at. And And it caused me a lot of harm. And I was like, nope, block, delete. Like I am not going to handle, you know, that stuff or spend time on that stuff because I have too many other big things to do. So it can be, you know, and that's a small thing, right? But harm can be very big. And, And before Carly, I would spend so much time. In the past, I would have taken like 48 hours to be like, how should I respond to this person? And then I would respond and then she would respond. And then I'd be like, how do I handle this? And I'd be feeling all this fear and this jitteriness. And I'm like, I'm done. I am done allowing people to cause me harm and to feel that, you know, if there is something valid, you know what, you tell me, you call me out on it and I will absolutely change something. Like I know I have work to do to become 
more well-versed at speaking and representing and just helping all different communities, people of color, the LGBT community. You call me out on that stuff, absolutely where I am wrong, I will pick it up. But if something I know is not right, you know, and you're trying to put that on me, I'm not taking that. I am erasing you from my auric field. And those are called boundaries. Ah! Right? Clap, clap, clap. Like, yes. And that, it has taken me decades to really understand and set my boundaries. And for some reason this year, and I joke with uh, my husband, like, watch out world, this like awakened Carly has come through, but I am setting boundaries and I'm saying, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to speak my truth. I'm going to live my truth. I'm going to be who I want to be. And if you don't like that, that's fine. Move along. You don't have to be in my life. Totally. And at the same time, we don't have to make those people bad people, right? Like I'm not saying that that person who emailed in is a bad person. I'm just saying, I don't have time to go there. So, so I'm not going to make you bad. I'm not going to make you good. I'm not going to categorize you at all. I'm just going to say, this is what I accept and this is what I don't. And you as a parent can understand this too, because this is something we're working with my son right now. He's two and a half. We, I mean, he is the light of my life, right? (laughs) He is my everything. And he is just so smart and kind and wonderful, but he's also a toddler and Mm -hmm. he screams and he hits and he behaves, you know, a lot of times what people would say badly. And Often we say to kids, you're acting bad or you're being a bad boy or good boys don't do this or good, bad, bad. Well, what we do and is the behavior. It's about the behavior. It's not mm-hmm. about labeling it. It's saying the behavior you are doing right now is not good for me. It's harmful. It's this. It's this. You need to understand you can't throw a ball at the dog, right? You need to. It doesn't mean he's a bad boy. Right. Now, if he is someone in power that is purposely harming people that are take is oppressing and racism and sexism and all of the other isms like things like that absolutely we need to label and we need to teach and recognize and outreach but when it comes to everyday people and children and our family members and friends it's about the behavior and it's calling people out on that behavior but also just recognizing you know what I don't want that behavior in my life if it's affecting or harming me so I'm going to set my boundaries and I encourage everyone to practice that. Yeah, that's hard. So have you ever had to set those boundaries with family and what does that look like to you? Oh, absolutely. And I will say this, I haven't had a single family member except my my gay cousin reach out to me or comment about me coming out as bi. It's kind of, I think something that all my family is like, okay, that's weird. Okay, Carly. You know, they just, you know, they all like my husband, Tyler. So they whatever, keep on living their lives. Um, I think I had a brother like a post and I got excited about that. But anyways, <laughs> but I think some of my in-laws and some other people were really like, you know, thinking about Tyler. Well, what about Tyler? Well, what about him? This has nothing to do with him. And I can understand someone who maybe has never um, even known someone who is gay, or especially for those of us who are in these small little rural farm towns where, um, or, you know, you might have the one awkward, uncomfortable gay member of the family or something like that. But from you, and you can probably, I'm sure with Brad and Ellen, like I've been around your family, the weddings and the engagement parties and things like that, of just that accepting, not everyone has those families. So for me, 
I had to deal a little bit with in-laws where a lot of stuff came up and it wasn't just about um, me coming out as bi, but also other things of where um, my husband changed his middle name. So my, I legally hyphened my name and we named my son, his middle name is Johnson, which is my maiden name. And so we did a a couple of like unique different things. Um, But the reason also he changed his name was because his father's name is John. So he's literally the son of John, right? And so I think some other things kind of came out because I mean, my in-laws are amazing and they've gone to my rape rallies before. (laughs) Like I am not your typical girl you bring home to your parents. I'm a national advocate and speaker. And so this was something too, all of this was going on during this Black Lives Matter movement, which this movement has been around for years that I've been a, a huge part of. So the point is a lot of times when something like this, a big news or you're dealing with family, it's kind of that spiral effect. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this or maybe other listeners have where it's like, oh, well, I also have a problem with this. Or I also have a, I'm confused about this and this and this. And then it turns into this, like, and as an educator, I'm like, and I'm an extrovert and I love chatting. So I'm like, okay, everyone, let's sit down and talk. Like, let's get to the bottom of all of this. Let me educate you on why I am the way I am. So anyways, to answer your question in a very long way, yes, (laughs) I've, I've had issues I've had, but but good and bad. And I think that um, those experiences that I have had, now I can pass that on to others too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let's talk about the 2008 shooting at NIU. I don't know if people understand what happened and I'm not, where were you on campus when that happened? So it's kind of like the, you know, people say JFK or 9-11 or mm-hmm. if you were on campus that day, you knew exactly, like I could make a movie of every little thing. So for me, I was in class and I was in an art studio course and we were just kind of in the room and we were working on things. And one of my classmates got a text message mm-hmm. that said, hey, there's an active shooter on campus. And we were like, what? And then not even a second later, another person got a text message that said, hey, there's a shooter in the library. And then we were like, what? And we looked out the window and we saw helicopters everywhere. And so my professor, she went to the office in the art building and said, like, what's going on? And when she went to the office, they were all in lockdown. No one came to tell, like, to tell us. Wow. And so we, and that's that fear of the unknown too. Like what's happening? What's going on? And so she asked and and they just said, we don't know what's going on. We're just supposed to be on lockdown. So she came back into the room. We locked the door. We moved away from the windows and we waited. And all of us instantly got on our phones, called our parents. And I was thinking like, who's the one person that's going to answer? And I was like, okay, I'll call my dad. So I called my dad and I said, I don't know what's on the news, but I just want you to know I'm safe. I'm fine. And then other people started calling and there was problem with the service. And we waited in there. It seemed like forever because we had no idea. And we're trying to call our friends and we're getting on Facebook to see what's going on and looking at the news. And then finally we got a knock on the door and it was a police officer. And they escorted us back to um, either our cars or our dorm. And so for me, unfortunately, my dorm room was right across this, like right across from the hall that uh, the shooting happened. And so I'll never forget walking back to class. And we could see where it had happened and there's all the ambulances and there are people covered in blood. And we just had no idea. We were still so clueless. We didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that feeling of going into my dorm room 
and looking at the giant TV, right, in our little lobby and seeing the building that I'm physically standing in on CNN. Yeah. And the news coming in about what it is. And we're hugging all of our friends and we're like, hey, have you heard from so-and-so? Have you heard from so-and-so? And then I remember standing there and seeing a guy from my floor walk by covered in blood. And it was just the most surreal thing, especially, like I said, coming from this small town. Mm-hmm. They're nothing right? We, um, we left our doors unlocked. And this is another thing too, though, that I speak on is that even though I grew up in this small town where nothing bad happens, all of that, the bad stuff was happening behind doors. Like I knew bad things were happening there, right. but it was, you know, shootings, like a school shooting, that's nothing that you think that you're ever going to experience. And so we just sat and we waited and we watched. And then I remember fleeing. That was one thing I was dating someone at the time who lived near Chicago. And And they had, of course, canceled classes and it was Valentine's Day and it was our first Valentine's Day together. And it was just, it was just surreal. Then unfortunately, the next morning we were, we fled. So we fled to his friend's um, dorm at ICU in Chicago because I just, I knew I didn't want to be back home because I had just broken up with my ex and it was an abusive relationship. And I was already the talk of the town in a sense And because we were so small, I knew people around me would be asking questions and I just didn't want to deal with that small town. Gossip. Yes, gossip. Exactly. And so I left and fled and then we were on the L going back and we got the phone call that my friend Gail was killed, that she was in there. And it was, it was so surreal because I met Gail through a Bible study. She was the most innocent, most just like perfect, beautiful soul that you will ever meet. Like she wore overalls all the time and she giggled. She had the biggest smile. And, and so all she did was she was a good student. She went in class and she was killed. And my friend, my friend, Chris, who skipped class that day to drink, cause it was, you know, it was Valentine's day. It was Thursday, Thursday. He survived. And that was too, when, my religion, my relationship with God and everything just started to rock because it was just one, like I mentioned before, one trauma after another. So that was kind of my experience with, with the shooting. And so go into that deeper. So that made you question things with your relationship with God. How did that, how did that end up playing out for you? And it's something I, I mean, throughout the years I have gone so up and down and it's mainly because I was going through all these traumas, all of these things. My friend was killed. I had a close friend who was raped because he was gay. That was another thing. It was kind of going back to that Matthew Shepard thing of where I wanted to hush it down because I thought I had already been assaulted just for being a woman. Like, can you imagine being assaulted again as that of a hate crime in that sense? So I was scared of that. And And then I came to terms with that whole, that whole, like everything happens for a reason, you know, like I experienced all these traumas and I went through all these things and I lived through it to help others. I kept, that's what I kept telling myself. Like I'm, I'm doing this to help, you know, I experienced all this to help others proof that you can move through trauma. But then at the same time, I have PTSD, right? Going back to that, not only am I a victim, like I, I really have been harmed Uh, tremendously. I have chronic PTSD, which means from multiple traumas. And so I I really struggled with that. But then once I started working at the Great Crisis Center, and because I was the educator and I would go into the schools and I've always been really great with kids and I have really great patience and I'm like 
funny and goofy, you know? So whenever there was a child in the hospital that had experienced abuse, they would call me if they didn't want to handle it or they were, or volunteers might've been scared or wanted assistance. So I dealt with a lot of abuse from children. I mean, the most horrific abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse from family members, from parents, from, from things that, that I just could not understand how a God could let that happen to Mm -hmm. someone. And, and so I still struggle with that. Some days my mom, who is very religious and she currently lives with us and she, you know, she says her little prayers every day before, before she eats. And my son, he goes, he sings, Oh, the Lord is good to me, you know, and it's really cute. And we have all these little books and he's got his little Bible and, you know, and, and two, there's like, you were kind of mentioned the difference between like growing up with organized religion of Christianity and or Catholicism, or if you were this, or if you're Jewish or blah, 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 I can list all the different religions. But for me, it's, it's just more of like, I've become so spiritual in the sense of when I have a beautiful day or I get a message from a, from a survivor, from a young student who says, Hey, I just saw your Ted talk. And I just want you to know that like you empowered me. And now I just reported my rape or this. I'm like, like, that's the world or my God who I often joke and I say things like, my God's a woman. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> a giant woman and a big black woman in the sky who like, um, who just is raining down goodness on it. Like, <laughs> and, and that's another thing where, where I can argue with people about. But the point is I, I try to connect myself with my body, my spirit, my soul within everything going around me and why it's happening. And sometimes also though, at the same time, like, you know what? Sometimes things happen and they don't need an, they don't need a reason. They don't need an explanation. They don't need things just happen. And it's how we, we go through that. We, how we work through that. And so I do a lot of work with mental health and suicide prevention also. And so anytime I do hear of someone who takes their life, I think, you know, they didn't fail. They didn't, there are things that, you know, happen for a reason or they were weak or things like that. It's just something that happens and they're in a better place now and their pain is gone. And that's what I think about. I go b- going back to my friend Gail, where she's now with her God. She that that experience, and she was only 20, 20 or twenty one at the time when she died. But also, her parents are doing incredible, wonderful things. Her dad wrote a book, um, yeah. and he went back to school. So, so, anyways, lives, religion, spirituality, it all connects, right? Oh, for sure. For sure it does. And you know what? There's so much like that you covered right there. Like I feel like I can't do it all justice to go into it all. But I have a couple questions. Like one, I just want to say you're so right. You know, the God that we see, you know, within America and Christianity and Catholicism is not, we whitewash God. We have whitewashed God. We have whitewashed Jesus. If you were to meet Jesus, if you were to travel back in time and meet Jesus, you'd be meeting a brown man that does not look like you think he looks like. And, you know, that's so wrong that we have taken what he looks like and whitewashed him. The other thing is God is neither man nor woman. God does not look like physical form. God is the collective consciousness of all souls, the oneness of all things, that everything everywhere, the smallest piece of everything is God. 
God could take different forms, I suppose, and come through as, you know, male or female or an animal or something else. But it's not like we're looking up to an old white man with a long white beard that's sitting up in the sky. Like, that's not what God is. With a giant penis. That's what I always say. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, he's got a big old dick up there in the sky. Anyway, apologies. I can get a little vulgar, but absolutely, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So totally right on there. I'm wondering, because I've struggled with this and I'm not sure that I have an answer for it right now. All things happen for a reason. Does that harm people who have been victims when they're in the point of they're in the vibration of still being harmed. You know, they're in the vibration of recovery and still working through that. Yeah, I, I 100% think so. Because can you imagine, and I, and I go back to children, um, because all, like, children are easy to use in this example because, first off, children have no control over their bodies, over their lives, over, it's their parents, their guardians, their whoever is their caretaker at the time. And so can you imagine being a little black girl who is in a low income, who doesn't have a coat, who is being sexually and physically abused by her family members, who is looking at the person, you know, the the kid at school that she goes to, who is being loved and who is white and has all the privilege and et cetera, et cetera. But can you imagine telling her, well, this is happening for a reason. This is there's a reason that this is happening to you. And I just, I, I can't go along with that, I guess. And I think about all the other people um, who have reached out to me and all the other stories and all the victims that I've worked with on the hospitals and, and the, excuse me, on the hotlines and everything. Just what was the reason? What, there is no reason. Sometimes things, you know, I just kind of go back to that things happen. Um, same with when I think about cancer, when I, Every every bad, terrible, horrible thing, whether it's national disasters or, <laughs> right? And I do, I really do appreciate that after harmful situations, especially involving community, that community comes together and they come stronger. And everyone gives 9-11 kind of as that example of where everyone was kind of blowing their American flags and volunteering and things like that. But at the same time, we don't need harm. We don't need to be victims, to be treated, you know, to, to come together. So I know I'm kind of going off a little bit, but yeah, that just, that everything happens for a reason. Don't, don't say that to someone. No, <laughs> they're not like ever. Like there's, there's a lot of different situations where people will say that and, and they even say it to people who have experienced a traumatic loss, you know, mm-hmm. a grief. And, and it's like, Nobody wants to hear that. So when you're at the hospital and you're working with these children or you're working with, you know, different people who are looking to you for answers or for understanding or for how to move through this, what do you say to them instead? So one of the very first things I will tell anyone, especially in the the term um, using like you're a victim, right? So when something happens to you bad, And all of those examples I give, whether it's cancer, whether it's a national disaster, whether it is someone harmed you and you were a victim of a crime or something, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. It is not your fault. That is the first thing I want everyone in here to say. 
and two is that I believe you. Uh, when I first, I will never forget, I first told one of my best friends about my rape, about what one of my best friends did to me. And they said, are you sure? That was the first thing they said, are you sure? So then I started doubting myself. Well, like, well, I mean, I was drunk. He got me drunk. Maybe I, I did. I imagined it differently. And then the second thing was, no, he wouldn't do something like that. Because we have this, this uh, stereotype of what a rapist or a domestic violent abuser or um, even what's going on now when we look at police brutality and cops and we think, no, no, they wouldn't do this. But that's the thing. People use their power and control and they manipulate and they're so good at it. And so going back to, you could have done everything right. I could have said no. I could have, you know, when he tried to pressure me with a drink or tried to bring me downstairs to his room, when I could have kicked and screamed harder, I could have, whatever it might have been, I could have done all these things and he still could have raped me. So saying things, well, you should do this, you should do that, you should do whatever it might be. Or can you imagine getting cancer and saying, oh, well, you should have ate better. We wouldn't say that to someone or you should have taken care of your body better. And so saying, it's not your fault. I believe you. And then providing that empathy instead of like, let me ask you, how many times have like you gone to a friend for help and they've said, well, when I broke up with my boyfriend, right? And they talk about themselves a lot. And and a lot of times people do that. And I'm somebody who's a storyteller. So of course I love to talk about myself, (laughs) but there's a time and place. And there's a time and place where I can tell you about my rape so that you understand that you're not alone. But there's other, there's a time and place where we just need to listen. Same with um, you go to somebody for help and you say, hey, I I need your advice. But really all you want to do is vent because, you know, you might have told your friend like, hey, do this. And then they do the complete opposite thing. And then you're really pissed at them. They're like, well, why did you want my help? Well, it's more about I just like, have you ever just wanted to vent to someone just and just have someone hear you? I love I know a lot of people love her. Uh, Brene Brown has a really great video that I'll share with you about the difference between sympathy and empathy. And sympathy is that, oh, that sucks to be you. Like, sorry, here's a card, you know, like, but empathy is, I'm going to feel with you. I'm going to sit in that pain with you. So when I pick up that hotline call or when I meet a survivor at a police station or in a hospital, I'm literally sitting in there listening to their story, validating them and feeling their pain with them. It's exhausting. And I don't know if you're an empath or if, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing, but like, I really do sense a lot of people's energy too. But a lot of, a lot of that is I have just recognized and I've had to tiptoe around people's behavior. And so I can sense when someone is angry or sad or mad or frustrated or whatever, or they don't want to be at a place because I was in relationships where I had to be very smart and I had to pick up on their behavior before they would lash out on me. And so a lot of survivors deal with that. A lot of people who grew up in broken homes have that. And so back to though empathy, I really do feel like empathy will change the world. If we, if everyone can really understand and feel with people and really understand what they're going through instead of trying to fix it, trying to make them feel better, talking about themselves, but being there with them. Yeah. Not to say anything, not to give advice, just to be in that space and share that space so that they're not alone. Exactly. And one of my, um, I just recently kind of reshared this post, but I was thinking about an event in college after my rape where I was 
I was actually living with my rapist. He was a roommate of mine. And it was just him and I in the summer. And it was really hard. And I was feeling really down. And I had a friend come over. And he brought cookies and cheap wine. And he just sat with me. And he was just there with me. And there were at times where we joked and we cried and we told stories. And I look back at that and I think, you know, instead of just sending me a text message that summer when I wasn't necessarily suicidal in which I had created a plan, but I didn't want to live. I would go on walks late at night and just, I didn't care if something happened to me. I remember drinking and smoking cigars (laughs) and just like kind of that reckless behavior where I just, I didn't care. And instead of my friend saying, Hey, Oh, don't kill yourself because you mean a lot to me and I love you. It was more about him showing up for me, my friends who physically and emotionally, or if they couldn't physically come see me talking to me on the phone, or I remember crying to a friend for like five minutes straight. They didn't say a single word, but I knew they were there on the phone with me. And so that showing up too is so important. And especially, you know, tying this all back to what we first started talking about is that when someone comes out as bi or gay or whatever it might be, or they start sharing their truth or they say, hey, I was raped or they're dropping this big bomb, they need people to be there with them, to show up for them and to be there in that empathy because it's such a big life-changing and it's so great, right? Did you feel just so relieved and wonderful, but also terrified? Like I was terrified. Yeah. So all the, like, I think we texted that night cause I was like, Brad and Ellen, this is what happened. Like I came out and, um, you know, I even, you know, told everybody in my circle and, and I was like, who can I talk to about this on the podcast? Cause I can't have this podcast. Like I can't do this alone. And they were like, call Carly. And that's like the first question that you asked me, you were like, how do you feel? And I was like, uh, well, I'm feeling all the emotions right now. And you're like, yeah, no, that's normal. Yeah. It was just like, and then I just remember that day I go back and I check, you know, to see who liked it or commented or if there were any negative things, or I was scared that like a family member was going to call me or ask questions, you know, it was, but then someone would comment and say, good for you. You're amazing. And then I'd be like on cloud nine. And yeah. So yeah. Talk about emotional roller coaster. <laughs> totally. Well, I've got a couple questions for you. So I want to go back to what you said. It's not your fault. I believe you. That's what you said that you would say. Those are two beautiful phrases. It's not your fault. I believe you. And the way that I look at things in life is I'm trying to stay away from saying bad and good and instead say healthy and unhealthy because there are healthy and unhealthy behaviors. And what I find is that for so many people who grew up with Catholicism or in the Christian church, when you take good and bad, it puts them into like this psyche of when they were younger. Whereas when you say healthy and unhealthy, I think it's within their mind creating new pathways of thought instead of reverting back to past childhood thoughts. So I, I like healthy and unhealthy I so want to have you back on the show to talk about healing from sexual assault because I think that that is something, and I've talked about this on the podcast, I've experienced so much, but I have never experienced that. And when you haven't experienced it, I'm not sure that you know enough. You can be empathetic, right? And you can be there and you can share that space. But having not been through it, you know, from a different perspective, so much more. 
And too, um, in my case too, I'm not just somebody who lived it, but it's something I have studied and I have worked with not only just survivors all over the country, but in different demographics. So last year I um, was so privileged to go to Alaska and work with a tribe on Kodiak Island. And so not only just but the intersectionality of sexual violence and domestic violence too. So yeah, I'd love to come back. <laughs> Yay. Carly, where can people find you to see your TED Talk? Where can they find you online? So you can just visit me at either Carly, K-A-R-L-I Johnson.com or I'm big on, I love Instagram. So I'm Ms. M-S Carly Johnson. Otherwise, if you just Google I pooped my pants, TED Talk, or Carly Johnson, will <laughs> find it. Yeah, I'm out there. So yeah, <laughs> hit oh me my up goodness. to chat and, and connect. You are a beautiful soul. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I so appreciate you. Oh, you're so wonderful, Julie. Thank you. Of course. Friends, if you'd like to hear from your angels and loved ones on the other side, book a one-on-one session via phone, FaceTime, or Zoom. You can also work with me one-on-one when you register to take the Angel Reiki School online to develop and use your own unique spiritual gifts. If you're just looking to be able to connect with your own personal angels, the Angel Communication online course will teach you how to hear, feel, and connect with your personal angels more clearly. Friends, if you get benefit from this podcast, please subscribe, rate us five stars, and ask a friend to listen. Don't forget to look in the show notes to see the winner of this month's free drawing. You're entered into the drawing when you write a five-star positive review and email it over to us so that we know how to contact you when you win. Now, if you have time, I want you to pause and do some energy work with me for a moment to lighten, clear, and reset your own energy. To start, I want you to take two deep breaths. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Friends, as I walk you through this, I want you to use your imagination as an energy tool. Friends, your imagination isn't something that's not real. Your imagination is what every human being uses to create physical reality. How does a painter know what to paint? How does a sculptor know what to sculpt? How does a writer know what to write? They see it all within their mind, within the imagination, before it flows through them and is created within physical reality. Friends, I want you to start by seeing yourself surrounded by thousands of angels. These are all angels that work directly for God and they circle around you. They have this light, airy, warm, yummy presence to them. And my friends, they are simply pure love and they radiate their love from their being to yours. I want you to take a moment to just breathe deeply in and out as you see and feel the presence of all of these angels surrounding you, sending their love and light energy to you.
friends, next I want you to see yourself surrounded by your loved ones on the other side. Your angels haven't gone anywhere, they're still right there, but now steps in your loved ones on the other side. Greet them, welcome them. Take a moment within your imagination to give them the biggest hug and kiss. Friends, as we do this healing work together, I want you to see that every single being that is surrounding you is just surrounding you because they are connected to God and they want to help you as a soul here on earth to lift your energy, to make it lighter, to take any heaviness out of your aura, chakras, and body. In order for them to help you with this, what I want you to do is voice to them. See yourself in your imagination telling your angels, your loved ones on the other side, God energy of course is there too. Tell them what you are afraid of. I want you to be specific and explain your fears to them now. Now friends, I want you to see your loved ones and angels on the other side comforting you, holding you, wiping away your tears. I want you to see them telling you that you're going to be okay. Your family is going to be okay. I want you to see them showing you in their way from the other side that they are there helping you every step of the way and that they will never, ever leave your side. Friends, I want you to see or feel God energy, this pure white radiant light pouring down from above over you. And as you feel this pure love and light, this gentle waterfall just pouring over your head, filling your body, filling your auric field to the outside of you, filling every inch of your being around you. I want you to feel that as this light energy comes in, the highest vibration that is as it gently pours into your being, I want you to feel how all the heaviness within you just releases. With the snap of your finger, 
God takes every ounce of heavy, low vibrational energy within you. And with that snap of the finger, God turns all of it into the highest vibration, love, light energy. Friends, I want you to imagine within your imagination your DNA strand. Now the way that spirit shows me the DNA and what it looks like is if you could imagine that double helix and that within that double helix are millions or billions of doors and windows. And those doors and windows open and close and as they do, some serve your highest health and good some do not. What I want you to do is say this prayer with me. My friends, this energy work does not have to take a lot of time. You're going to hear me say, use the snap of your fingers because within that snap of the fingers, your intention shifts the energy within your body. So you can say it, but please believe it. Know like you know like you know within your heart that you are changing the energy, the frequency within you to be pure, complete health. So say this little prayer with me now. God, please close all the doors and windows to my DNA that don't serve my highest health. With a snap of your fingers, see those doors and windows close. And God, please open all the doors and windows to my DNA that do serve my highest health. See those doors and windows open with a snap of your fingers. What I want you to do now is see yourself healthier than ever come September of this year. Daydream, visualize about what that health looks like and feels like to you within your body come September of this year. Take a moment to do this work right now and I'll come back to you with my voice in one minute. Friends, I want you to believe like you believe like you believe that you, your family, your friends, you are protected. You are safe. You are secure. Your angels are looking out for you. God is looking out for you. Your loved ones are looking out for you. See yourself as healthier than ever come September of this year. Now I want you to pray with me for a moment for everyone else. God Please protect our nurses, doctors, and all healthcare professionals around the world. God, may you give each of them strength and protect them. God, please also protect all people who work in grocery stores, food service, or delivery. God, may you give each of them the strength and protection that they need. 
for all people who are suffering from COVID-19 themselves. God, may you take care of them and heal all who are able to be healed. Surround them with your divine protection. Surround them with angels and help every cell within their body to become completely 100% healthy again. God, for every person who has lost a job or had their income reduced, please clearly show them the path to healing, safety, security. Whisper to them in their hearts the direction that you would have them go. God, for every child on this planet, please help them to receive the attention, love, nurturing, and care that they so desperately need. God, please surround them with angels and allow them to feel the divine presence of your love and warmth. For those filled with hatred, God, we ask you to transmute that hate within their hearts into love energy, and we ask you to open up their hearts to make shifts and positive changes to help them raise their vibration. And everyone who is helping with the COVID-19 effort or response in some way, God, please be with each person who needs your strength. Clearly guide them and protect them with whatever they need at this time. Friends, finally, I want you to visualize Thanksgiving of this year. I want you to take a moment of silence to experience this daydream within your mind. See every single family member and friend and loved one there at the dinner table. See them happy, healthy. Feel the gratitude of this Thanksgiving beyond any other Thanksgiving in the past. Gratitude for being all together. Gratitude for all being healthy. Gratitude for the lessons learned. Gratitude for the relationships that grew deeper and the love that is between you all. Again, my friends, see your spirit team on the other side telling you that you are going to be okay. See them helping you. My friends, God loves you. Your spirit team loves you. I love you. Open up your heart like French doors to all of the unexpected blessings that they're trying to bring into your life right now. May you go forth with your day feeling lighter, and living in the high vibration that is God. Go forth in your day, surrounded by angels and your spirit team on the other side protecting you. Allow yourself to just be. Allow yourself to live in the high vibrational frequency that is God and carry it with you throughout your day. Friends, I have to have a disclaimer at the end. This podcast is to educate, inspire, and entertain you on your personal journey towards health and happiness. It is not intended to replace care best provided by qualified professionals, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.